Welcome to Voices of Santa Clara. Having a good idea doesn't get you done. And if we'd hit those, there would have been an explosion. We would have died, obviously. Scholarship should cultivate the virtues. Worry more about, am I searching for what I should be doing next in the world? Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Voices of Santa Clara podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Cosgrave, a senior here. And uh, this is another installment in the series where I'm interviewing adjunct faculty members along with the Bronco Posse magazine uh, covers that are up around campus. Uh, today's guest will entertain you right from the start. Bonita Banducci teaches gender and engineering for the Santa Clara School of Engineering graduate program in the core curriculum. Uh, she was named a Silicon Valley Woman of Influence in 2014 by the Silicon Valley Business Journal, and she's done a lot of different uh, consulting with organizations from business, nonprofit, academia, governments, um, all about understanding gender differences and competencies in the workplace and really helping people reach their full potential. So without uh, any further introduction, we'll get right to the conversation and launch into uh, Bonita's um, fascinating career trajectory. And then a little bit later, we'll get into more of the the class she teaches and how everyone can um, reach more of their full human potential. So here's Bonita. Maybe to start out, could you just touch a little bit on your your background and what you uh, thought you wanted to do as a career when you were in your in your twenties, and maybe some some highlights along the, the journey? Well, um, I'll be honest with you. I, it really started with my great social awakening when I was in elementary school, and I saw the first broadcast, a documentary broadcast on television by Edward R. Murrow, which was the Harvest of Shame which was so shocking to me. Uh, It's a documentary about the migrant workers of the residuals of the end of slavery. That's what I wanted to teach. I had this great social awakening and I wanted wanted to teach junior high students so that they'd have that same social awakening. Mm -hmm. And that's what tracked me to uh, innovative education. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually I, I, was a pioneer at UC Santa Cruz because that was the great educational experiment of its time. And uh, that's what I wanted to be a part of. And it continued to uh, have me self-identify with being a pioneer. I was one of the first young people to be working with the encounter group work that was being done at Esalen Institute. These, I mean, this is history. <laughs> hmm. um, like what was that? Well, work? that was, it's, Encounter groups were the first really uh, group dynamics. Mm-hmm. Of uh, At the time, they were working with business people mm-hmm. and trying to improve business communication and relationships in the business workplace. Um, but they also were willing. We brought them into at, to UC Santa Cruz. And, and honestly, the facilitators, they were... They they were in new territory working with us young people, um, but that was it was the beginning of what I see it became the human potential movement in California, mm-hmm. and um, the that was be, that became my interest mm-hmm. um, as much as I you know finished college 
I was wanted. I had planned to teach, mm-hmm. and uh, actually planned to teach in the juvenile hall uh, mm-hmm. school at, in Marin County, which I considered to be the culturally deprived students of Marin. Uh, which, if you know Marin, it's really a very privileged uh, county. So I considered, rather than most of my colleagues were going into the inner cities to teach, and I thought I would take on the privileged culturally deprived uh, <laughs> and that that didn't work out uh, I mean there's a story about that but I I um, actually uh, even before that even in, in college when I had planned I did an independent study uh, planning to teach the harvest of shame literally that's what I wanted to teach and the uh, parents said no the parents found out I wanted to teach the special class that was, a, you know, an independent study for me and for these um, junior high students. And uh, that really shut me down from, well, if I can't teach what I want to teach, uh, what I guess I'm not going to be teaching. Um, but that's why I thought it would be interesting taking on the um, students in juvenile hall. Um, in any case... I ended up, you know, it's just life happens. And I'd had a summer job managing a, a retail store in Sausalito uh, with the whole world walking through Sausalito. And that uh, took me into several different venues. Into um, I thought I was going to go into the art field and the management of art. Lo and behold, a, a job landed in my lap managing a store on Union Square in San Francisco, which was bringing what we now call the natural foods um, business out of the back streets and the hippie culture of the U.S. and uh, landing on Union Square and bringing it into the mainstream. And it was one of the first, it was along with some of the first businesses for social responsibility. You know, we had the first Save-A-Tree bags and and we brought organic uh, vegetables into the mainstream of um of even the restaurant business in San Francisco because, you know, we had these bright red tomatoes in the middle of winter time. Where did they come from? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, all these little things that really contributed to uh, culture change as well as business culture change. And uh, we actually opened a, a restaurant that was the first restaurant rev- reviewed in Vogue magazine mm-hmm. because it was um, natural foods but high cuisine, uh, not just... Uh, at the time, it was mostly avocado sandwiches that was representing the um, natural foods mm-hmm. business. Um, and even, I, I will brag a little, even uh, Jeremiah Tower, who was one of the, considered one of the great chefs and was teaching, he had been at Chez Panisse and he was teaching at um, the Culinary Academy of San Francisco. He considered our restaurant to be the most perfect restaurant and was also reviewed and uh, uh, featured in Interior Design Magazine because mm. our interiors were so beautiful and innovative. And the designer who designed the restaurant is now considered to be San Francisco's top designer, or mm. at least one of them. Um, so I was, all of this innovation was mm-hmm. and as part of my entrepreneurship. And of course, we were loved by our customers. Uh, we were the heart of Union Square. So that was really the beginning of my curiosity as to uh, what it was I was bringing to the business because my 
originally my boss, uh, who became my partner, but he was uh, what we would consider a Madison Avenue madman from New York City. Hmm. And he had a very different way of thinking about business than I did. And um, so I was very curious about uh, what it was that I brought as a woman. Hmm. And uh, I must fess up that I thought that I was absolutely what had made the store such an incredible success in the heart of the community. He actually taught me that, he said to me that the a store takes on the character of either the owner or the strong manager. And since he had been absentee for a year, you know, I, it was a lot of me. But ultimately, I like to acknowledge that it was because in order to do things my way, I had to do things his way and my way. Hmm. And that's basically what I'm an advocate of, is having differences work together hmm. uh, and what's possible in innovation when differences are look, working together. Hmm. Um, so that really was the seed for my interest in what women bring to business. Mm-hmm. We were supposed to move to Saks Fifth Avenue, the restaurant, uh, when Saks Fifth Avenue moved into Union Square. And, you know, there, there are stories about what happened there that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, we'd already arranged to sell the lease on our store. So we ended up going to Mexico and mm-hmm. uh, had eventually had a hotel and restaurant in the wine and cheese country of Mexico, mm-hmm. which was quite an experience. Um, I just loved and um, I'd always identified with Mexico as a little girl. I mean, I have this name, Bonita. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I'm Italian, but I, fig- I even as a little girl, I was trying to figure out, well, you know, well, there's Latin blood, some kind of Latin blood connection here. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so it was really, I've had several different uh, life experiences with Mexico, and that was a wonderful experience to be able to uh, live and work there for a while. And when it was time to come back here, um, in the well, in the meantime, I've been participating in what this human potential movement of California, the the mm. all of the different transformational um, workshops and uh, offerings, and um, not all of them, but a number of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was in one of the workshops that I was uh, looking at where I had wanted to transform organizations around customers, mm-hmm. but we were asked to look at what what's a bigger vision than tra- whatever your vision is? And I asked um, one of the very successful organizational consultants who was uh, in the workshop I was in. I said I asked him. I said, Craig, you know, you're you're already you already have big visions. How do you imagine something bigger? And he said, I'm looking at what's the missing piece. It was there that I, I said, No, what's the missing piece? And what would my work look like if it was a full expression of who I am? And it just came to me. I'd be a fully expressed woman in the workplace. And at first it was like, oh, no, I'm not going to do this feminist stuff. But I I believe in having those insights, those epiphanies that say something to you. Um, and so I... I followed it because I'd always been curious, but I was afraid who's going to have a business around that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, as it turned out, I um, soon thereafter had the opportunity 
to join into a consulting company uh, and convince the woman who's head of it to at least put into her portfolio uh, that we were going to do women's leadership work. Mm-hmm. And um, in a meeting at Sun Microsystems, she had it in her portfolio. And the head of human resources said, oh, we have one of our vice presidents wants to do an offsite on what is the contribution women make that could be the strategic advantage in the global marketplace. You didn't expect to get such a long story, did you? (laughs) Anyway, so I was able to do this research Mm -hmm. at Sun Microsystems when they were one of the biggest in the valley. Uh, And had uh, we were only paid for three days of consulting, but we did a lot more work doing interviews. It was really an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And that's what opened up, uh, you know, discovering um, what had been invisible and unarticulated mm-hmm. that women were contributing and that it's actually that had been misinterpreted as, um, you know, not being competent. I mean, I have stories about that, but I want to turn this back over to you for a moment. Yeah. Well, no, it's really interesting to hear how kind of all these different threads of, you know, appreciating different countries and, and cultures and innovation and entrepreneurship and uh, the, the piece of empowerment and, and women and, and helping everyone reach their full potential. I can kind of see how they're all all coming together. So, yeah, I guess like how how do all those different pieces like come together in, in you and how does that tie into you're teaching it at Santa Clara. Well, you asked the best question because for years, I mean, uh, well, actually, my uh, let me backtrack a little bit. My first real project came um, to work with a, uh, one of the administrative organizations here at Santa Clara. I mean, this was after I developed, you know, the, the research and um, I'd been told I could turn that into a PhD, but yeah. at the time I didn't want to spend six years turning it into a PhD. It's a whole story in itself, so I'll skip the story, but basically I had the opportunity to work with a um, staff community here at, at the campus. And uh, it was a po- polarized between the men and the women. And I brought the community back. I developed a workshop and did the workshop. And it, it just was completely transformational. And they were so, so uh, appreciative. And eventually uh, I did a couple couple projects and um, the woman uh, who was head of affirmative action at the mm-hmm. time, Conchita Franco Seri. Um, she was asked in 2000 by Dean Schaup, who was the dean of the engineering school. He was looking for someone to teach gender communication. Mm-hmm. Um, he wanted to have his engineering students have skills, professional, he said, professional skills besides engineering. And mm-hmm. he specifically asked for her recommendation for someone to do gender communication. Mm-hmm. And, of course, she recommended me. Mm-hmm. And I also recommended my friend, Marian Stetson-Rodriguez, who does the work now on cross-cultural understanding and managing a diverse workforce. I started out, even then, with what I called my grand finale slide, mm-hmm. which is this, you know, a whole, it has a kind of a rainbow image of a world of possibility and innovation that would be possible when we had differences of what I call the more individualistic mindset and competence and the relational competencies working together. And that was obviously abstract and visionary, but it's turned into um, 
now. Uh, are you familiar? With, I'm sure you are familiar with the UN Sustainable Development mm-hmm. Goals. Mm-hmm. Aren't they spectacular? I mean, it's really a world that works for everyone and in harmony with nature and all all that we're concerned about with climate as well. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the world that is possible. And lo and behold, UN women have declared that the only way we're going to get to these sustainable development goals by 2030 is through 50-50 partnership of men and women at every decision-making table. And uh, they call this Planet 5050. Mm-hmm. That's it's like, that's my project. Mm-hmm. You know, and I get to have an impact on all those different goals mm-hmm. by just aiming at what we can do to have men and women work more effectively together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that's that's now you've got the piece of how I came to the university, mm-hmm. but also this uh, how all of this is coming together is in I have I have a missing piece. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I have the solution to the whole the 17 mm-hmm. goals, but they have pointed out how gender um, and gender partnership mm-hmm. is uh, an important piece through most of the goals. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's what that's where I am now, mm-hmm. and that's how I introduce the class mm-hmm. um, for what we're aiming for. Mm-hmm. So the class, is it required for engineers or is it an elective? Or? It's actually um, fulfills the requirement for um, uh, jet engineering and society. Okay, okay. So for, and this is for the graduate, um, graduate okay. engineers. I did develop a course for undergraduate, um, mm-hmm. but it do- doesn't look like it's going to be um, taught uh, mm-hmm. again. I mean, we, it was a great class, but... Um, I'm limited as to how many classes I can teach. So, right. You know, and we'll, is the for, well, for, first of all, do more women than men uh, enroll in in the class? And kind of are there differing perspectives that work? Well, actually, I think I've had two classes now where there were a couple more women than men. Mm-hmm. Most of the classes have been more men than women, mm-hmm. which is also true. The, probably the general. Yeah, program. in general. But um, and I had one class where there was just one woman, but she held her own, her own along with me. <laughs> now it's it's a the men love it too. Uh, I've had men walk up to me and you know just on campus and say thank you for the greater self awareness that I have, and I do consider my approach to be what I call disarming. You know a lot of especially you know especially with what's going on now the the fear of what how women will respond to what a man may say. Um, and uh, certainly the years of women being concerned of how they're being treated uh, in the workplace and all the issues around STEM mm-hmm. um, uh, and the, the imbalance of numbers of women um, and men. Um, the, there's, there's anxiety around it. Mm-hmm. And um, I take pride in being able to disarm the anxiety mm-hmm. and bring it to wonderment. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's starting with videos of little boys and little girls and mm-hmm. how they how they are when they're young and how that carries through. I mean, the great work of Deborah Tannen. Yeah, she worked. Her main focus, her books came out in the '90s. So they aren't the popular books right now, mm-hmm. but to be able to bring out, bring this to um, students now and, and be able to make the point that the same 
we haven't changed that much. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it really is a joy for me that I have men that have been promoted because of their effectiveness. Mm-hmm. I had one fellow who was voted best TA on campus because of his what he did and how he reinvented his uh, lab, and the students appreciated it so much. I've had students get A's in other classes for their group work because they understand how to work uh, the differences together, mm-hmm. as well as getting an A in this class. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and that and I'm, t- I'm talking about men and women. And of course, the side benefit is also having personal mm-hmm. relationships work, saving marriages, mm-hmm. um, which is a nice side benefit. I, when I, for instance, I had one woman who coached her father in India as to how to be more effective with the uh, women that work for him, mm-hmm. um, and stories like that that mm-hmm. are really um, very gratifying that we're making that much of a difference. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So there, there's a couple of questions I like to ask sure. at the end of, of interviews. So first, uh, what piece of advice would you give to an incoming first-year student at Santa Clara? With this subject particularly, um, uh, since I teach that often, not all women, it's not like all women are one way and all men are another way, but women and a lot of, and a lot of people that are more mm-hmm. relational, they are looking through the, at the world through the lens of relationship mm-hmm. and how do we build connection. So um, the, uh, for particularly for the men, um, to be um, calibrating their their activities and their actions and their communication around building trust and building relationship. Rather, the, the first inclination, if you're concerned about it, is to remove yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, stay out of this. I don't want to get into trouble. But if you can turn that around and say, how can I build trust? How can I build relationship? How can how can I be an ally and have have the people around me be allies? Mm-hmm. We're all in this together. Um, that that's my um, main emphasis for particularly for the men and um, for the women. Likewise, I encourage them to be able to communicate and, and speak out, not necessarily to make men wrong, mm-hmm. but to teach um, both to teach how they are uh, developing their ideas and what their contributions mm-hmm. are. A lot of people say that women don't want to toot their own horn. Mm-hmm. So I say teach. Teach about how you are and what you're seeing. Um, but also to be to let, you, let the guys know that you're an ally, that we're in this mm-hmm. together and we want to have this work together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are there any favorite uh, locations or destinations in the world that you've traveled to and really enjoyed? Well, of course, Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I have, and I've been to my family heritage spot in Luca, near Luca, Italy, a little place called Tassignana. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do love Luca, which has, it's lined with poplar trees. The wall around Luca is lined with very tall trees, poplar trees, mm-hmm. like reaching up into the heavens. Mm-hmm. And since we all think of walls as keeping people out, um, I th- the beauty of, of the wall, which you can walk around, drive, used to be able to drive around, but, uh, I really love what Luca stands for. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, 
where I haven't been, bucket list-wise, that I'd love to be. Because of my work with the Global Women's Leadership Network, we had a lot of women from different parts of Africa and a number of them working with environmental projects as well as women's empowerment. So, of course, I'd like to go there and visit them and visit the animals Mm. of Mm. Africa, Mm. the Great Plains and the animals, as well as my friends. Yeah. If, If you could send a message to every person in the United States, what would you want to say? What would I want to say? We can do this together. We can. We do need to listen to what we all need um, and uh, what we all have to contribute. And um, I think we're on the verge of creating a much more engaged populace, people engaged in their government and in their culture and in their businesses. Everything can be well, my mantra, everything can be worked out in communication. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And finally, what does an ideal Saturday look like for you? Well, an ideal Saturday for me is teaching my class. Mm-hmm. I teach from nine to five. It's more like a workshop. Uh-huh. And uh, so uh, that's my ideal Saturday, mm-hmm. teaching my class. I also teach the co-op class of students that are going into um, internships that mm-hmm. international students that need to be prepared for the American workplace. So mm-hmm. I'm privileged to do that as well. Yeah. And I do have a few Saturdays off. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty much um, uh, opportunities to engage in conferences or um, be at home, maybe do a little yoga and swimming, which I do try to fit in uh, during the week. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thanks so much for doing this interview. I appreciate it. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and now on Spotify so that you don't miss an episode. Check out the website at VoicesOfSantaClara.com for some shortened transcripts. And you can like the Facebook page and follow on Twitter. I'll see you next time.